you take your seats, please do. The truth about death. So last week we had the truth about death number one. And I heard from a few of you, you were friendly, but I heard from a few of you of your displeasure that we, weren't, we didn't have a Christmassy message in this season of the season that some people call Lent. You know, by the way, Lent is not in the Bible, but it's okay that we have traditions, and that's one of them. Um, Advent, pardon me, not Lent. That's the other big holiday. Shows you how much I have not been a part of that whole scene, all right? That's not been where I've been. But you'll be happy to know that even though this is the truth of death number two, this is a Christmas message. It's about why Jesus came. It's about why he took on flesh and blood like ours and lived on this earth. In Scripture, we're given many reasons why he came. We just read two of them. I'll reread them. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. There's one reason, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Here's another reason given in Scripture, already read. I've come for judgment in order that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Many times in Scripture, we're told why Jesus came. Here's a few more, 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why Christmas? Why, why the incarnation? Why did Jesus come? To save sinners of whom I am chief or of whom I am the foremost. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, another one of the statements about why Jesus came. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. Why the incarnation? Why did Jesus come? He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. So there are many reasons why Jesus came, many that are expressed in the Bible. Those are a few. But here's the one that's going to launch us really into our sermon today. It comes from the book of Hebrews. Since therefore the children, that's you and me, in that, in that verse, we are the children. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, right? You have flesh, you have blood. All God's children got flesh and blood. We all share in flesh and blood. Since that's the case, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He was not a phantom appearing to be human. He was not God with a big projector in heaven projecting an image that people saw and it looked human, but it really wasn't. No, he actually partook of flesh and blood. He partook of the same things. That's his incarnation. Here we are being told why Jesus Christ came incarnate. And the purpose clause comes next, and here it is. That, or in order that, through death, he might deliver 
all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Why did Jesus come? Why, why did he take on real flesh and have real blood? Why the incarnation? There are many answers given in Scripture, many more than what I just shared with you, but this is the one we're looking at today, and it's very Christmassy. He took on flesh in order that through death he might deliver. He might deliver us from death. My verse just disappeared, but it's all right. That he might deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. The verb deliver is the Greek verb apalasso. It's not the normal one, sozo, for save, which also means deliver, but it's apalosa, which means like to release. Like if you're fishing and you do some catch and release and you catch the fish and you release it from bondage to your hands. Jesus came to do some releasing. He came to do some delivering. And who's he delivering in this verse? People who are scared of dying. People who are afraid of death. And he says, that's all of us. We were at all, we were all at some time subject to bondage to the fear of death. And Jesus came to release us. He came to free us. This is why Jesus came. Now we'll put up that slide. There it is. Jesus came to deliver us from fear of death. If you're a believer, he came to deliver you from fearing death. He came so that you would live with no fear. Make a circle, put a line through it, no fear. Put death inside of there, no fear. He came so that you would have no fear of death, so that instead you would realize you have been delivered. Say with me, I have been delivered. I have been delivered. You have been delivered from the fear of death. So this is one reason why Jesus came. This is why his incarnation, he wanted to deliver you from something that you were a slave to. He wanted to take away from you that fear of dying. However, next slide please. Some Christians seem to be more delivered than others. How come? Jesus came to deliver us from a fear of death. Why do some appear to be more delivered from that than others? Well, there's a simple answer. He came to deliver you. That's his purpose. But you have to do some appropriating. You have to do some receiving. You have to do some baking it into your heart and your soul. You have to do some appropriating and making it your own. You have to do some reckoning with the truth. You have to do some taking your every thought captive to obedience to the word of God. You've been delivered. You have to do some not conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that unlike them, you don't fear death because your mind, your thinking about death has been changed. So some Christians appear to be more delivered than others, well, in part, just because temperamentally, some people are less fearful and some people are more fearful. That plays into it too. But also because some are reckoning more. They've been able to reckon more on the truth that Jesus Christ has delivered us. It's just like in other areas of Christian life. He gives us things, but we don't all have them the same. 
Like he says to his disciples, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, but this kind of peace, divine peace, my peace. And he says, do not be afraid, but have peace. But not all Christians have the same level of peace. It's because some are appropriating it more. Some are receiving it into their hearts more. Some are reckoning on God's truths more. Some are temperamentally easier inclined to having peace, plus all that. And in the same way, not all believers are are at the same level of fearlessness in the face of death. So here's a statement I'll put up for you. You have have to fill your whole being with the truths that deliver you from the fear of death. I'm gonna help you do that. That's what this sermon is about. It's a Christmas sermon about what Jesus came to do to deliver us from the fear of death. That is my end, that is my goal, that is my purpose, to help you make that your own, to receive your deliverance, to make you fearless and bold in the face of death. Christmas, why Christmas? So you won't fear death. After COVID had been in our land for a little while, here in 2020, one of you, one of our pastors, in fact, wrote me a note and said, I was talking to people at church and they seemed terrified. He said, I don't know, tell me, is there something wrong with me? But I'm not the least bit fearful. I just figure I'll die when God wants me to die. Right? If it gets me, it gets me. If it doesn't get me, okay. It's all in God's will. God's sovereign over my health. And he was going on and on like that. I'm just giving you my words version of what he said, but, but that's what he said. And I wrote him back and said, amen, brother. Amen, brother. But not everybody's feeling that way. I just cited you an example of the kind of fearlessness Christ came to give us in one of our pastors. I'll now cite an example of that kind of fearlessness from a Civil War soldier, an officer, who was known for being 100% fearless on the field of battle, sitting on his horse, shells landing and exploding around him, um, slugs from a muzzleloader zinging past him, and he would just sit there like it wasn't even happening and direct his men and conduct battle. And somebody asked him one day, uh, Why, how can you be so fearless on the field of battle? And he answered, not one bullet shall touch me unless God writes my name on it. That man had done some receiving That man had done some reckoning. That man had done some appropriating. That's why Jesus came on Christmas Day, so that you would be able to say, nothing shall harm me unless it be God's will. And if it's God's will, well, blessed be the will of the Lord. Let's look at some more scriptures that are intended to help us appropriate this no-fear zone around death. Matthew 10. Jesus Christ said, And do not fear. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So here's a guy with a knife. Here's a guy with a gun. Here's a guy with whatever. And he's setting out to kill you. And Jesus says, ha, don't be afraid of that. Just brush that off. He can't touch your soul. It's just your body. It's a temporary tent. It's a dwelling. You have a a habitation 
not made with human hands, waiting for you in the heavenlies in the presence of Jesus Christ. All he can do is kill your body. He can't touch your soul. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot fear the soul. Rather, by way of contrast, here's who you do fear. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The word destroy, by the way, I just want to put in here, does not mean that they are annihilated or that they cease to exist. It's an eternal destruction. You're destroyed forever and you live forever forever in that awful place. But Jesus says, don't kill people. Don't, don't fear people who can only kill your body. Notice, please, this is a command. It's not, it would be nice if... It's not a, may I suggest to you, it's in the imperative, it's a command. Here's something Jesus does not want his people to have to do. Don't fear those who kill the body. So that helps us. You have to have words like these and deposit them into your soul. Like when you go to the bank and you make a deposit, you pull up the window now, you get the little thing out, you put your thing in, it goes, and comes, and then comes, comes back and you get your little paper out and make sure they got it right, check the numbers, and then you go home. You make a deposit. You have to make deposits of truth in your soul. You have to make deep deposits of God's word and send them into the very depths of your soul where they grip you and change you. And they'll change your emotions. So, you have those two, those who can kill the body, God who can kill the soul. Fear God, don't fear them. There's more about this in Luke, Luke's gospel, chapter 12 and verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. I, I like this. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. It's like they're coming to kill you and they kill you, and you say, is that all you got? Is that all you can do? You haven't done much at all. You only killed my body. I have an eternal soul that will be with God and Christ and the Spirit of God and the people of God and the angels of God in glory forever. You can't touch it. Can't touch this. You can only touch my body. I dig those words. And after that, they have nothing more that they can do. Oh, they can kill your body. Doesn't mean much. Many years ago, I was preaching in Riverside, California. I was a pastor there from 85 to 95. And I was preaching one morning on Paul's words, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And there was a man visiting that morning who called our church office in the afternoon and someone got the call off the voice machine. You had little machines in those days and uh, someone got the call and it was a call from him to me and he said, uh, for me, remember the verse was, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I was preaching on to die as gain and he called and left an angry message that said, you really think dying is gain? I'll be there to meet you in the parking lot before your evening service. We had some big dudes in that church. <laughs> Richard Abdullah, he was like a mountain. I had Richard with me in the parking lot. They came out to meet me in the parking lot. Waleed Batar, who I don't know, might have bumped people off in his earlier days. I don't know. He was something, man. 
And they met me in the parking lot, walked me in. The guy never showed. But this should have been my response. Ah, he can only kill my body. Can't touch my soul. Fear God. Let me jump to another passage quick. It won't go up here for you, but Proverbs 29, 25 puts it straight. The fear of man is a snare. You know what a snare is. They set a snare. You put your foot in it, you're hanging from the tree. When you fear people, there's a snare. When you fear, fear God, the fear of God, however, Proverbs 9.10, is the beginning of wisdom. So fear him whose fear brings you into wisdom, and don't fear those who only hang you up upside down by your foot in a snare. Some humans are good at this in common grace. They don't know Christ. They don't have God's word. They're not taking their thoughts and thus their feelings captive to obedience to Christ, but they're good at not fearing death. I'm thinking of one good example, Navy SEALs. Anybody pay attention to Navy SEALs? They're kind of popular nowadays, and rightly so. They're some impressive men, and in some cases, well, women have tried. I don't think any of them made it in yet. Navy SEALs, I've read some of their books. They're retired now. I've watched some shows. And a common denominator seems to be this. Early on, they reckon with death. Somehow, they're the kind of people who are able to say, look, if I die... I want to die honorably. If I die, just so I die faithfully. If I die, just so I'm defending my buddies. If I die, just so I'm defending the people back home in my land, it'll be an honorable death, and I don't mind dying. And, and they become fearless like that Civil War soldier, even though they don't know Christ. They're able to get to that place. In fact, here's a little quote. Um, While they do not fear death itself... They fear a death of no importance, a death of no meaning. Living a healthy life until they are 85 years old is not their goal. To a seal, it is not when you die, but how you die that is important. To die well, that is the ultimate goal of a Navy SEAL. Some humans have that, apart from Christ. But all they've got is stoicism. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. You have the truth that you enter into the presence of your Lord, and He will say, welcome to the joy of your Lord. Don't fear death. Paul chimes in, 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable, that's this, that's you, that, me, that. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, that's that body. When you leave this body, whoop, and you put on that body. And when, understood, the mortal, that's this body, it, it must die, puts on immortality, that's that body, it shall never die, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That's an amazing saying. Here's death, and victory comes along and goes, and swallows it up, and death is gone. Then, when the mortal puts on immortality. And Paul goes on to say, next slide please, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
there's sting left for those behind, for those left behind. For, for the believer in Jesus Christ, for the follower of Jesus Christ, you've had a huge infusion of spiritual novocaine, and there's no sting. Death, no sting. And the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't fear death. Now somebody says, next slide please, how, how and why do we not fear death? I mean, it doesn't seem reasonable to me. I mean, at death, you know, you know what happens at death, don't you, Pastor Steve? The curtain comes down, the lights go off, it's over, everything you've ever known and loved and experienced is gone, sort of. Um, How and why? What helps are there in the Bible to help me to not fear death? I understand Jesus came to deliver me from that. I understand some believers are more delivered than others. I understand it's easier for some people than others. It's not easy for me, you might say. Are there any helps, are there any truths you can give me that will help me to know how I should not fear death, how I cannot, and, and why I should not fear death? Yes, here's a help. Here's the first one. Go back again, please. Back one, thank you. See death as gain. Y'all know what passage I'm thinking of, right? Philippians 1.21. Let's look at it. Paul says, for to me... To live, that's Christ. To live is not sports. To live is not money. To live is not pleasures. To live is not possessions. To live is not vacations. Those are all nice. Hope you get to enjoy some small fries. To me, to live is Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ in my life. It's all about following him and loving him and serving him. My whole show is Christ, says Paul. I pray that you can say that with him. I pray that that's the case for you. And you can say, for me to live is Christ. And if you can say that, then you can probably say the second part just like Paul too. And to die, and it's like he's... He's, it's at the end of the day, it's at the end of the week, end of the month, end of the year, end of whatever, and he's got his, his ledger out, and he's got profits on one side and losses on the other, and he wants to tally it up and find out, how was my day? How was my year? Did I end up in profit or loss? And he says, all right, well, here's death. Where do I put that? Now, that goes over in the profit column. It's gain. It's actually gain. Do you like gain? Last year you made $10,000, and this year you will have made $20,000. That's gain. Anybody like gain? Seven years ago you decided you wanted to bulk up and you started deadlifting. Good choice. On the first day, you were only able to deadlift the 45-pound Olympic bar for a couple reps. Now here you are seven, 10 years later, and you just deadlifted 500 pounds, which is rarefied atmosphere territory. Not many people get 
I wanted to, and I didn't. And it's too late now, baby. <laughs> I tried, didn't get there. That's rarefied stuff. Would anybody like that kind of gain? I started at 45 pounds. I got to 500. I got to the elite category of over 500s, the 500 club. We like gain. Paul says, then you like death. Because to die is gain. It's in the gain column. It'll be better. You gain things. But somebody says, how is death gain? And why is death gain? Because it really looks like loss to me. Leaving this earth, all the stuff I love, all the things I enjoy, why is it gain? Let me give you some helps. Help number one. At death, you enter the presence of the God whom you love supremely. My friend in Christ, that's gain. That's gain. You enter the presence of the God whom you love supremely. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. You'll be present. You'll be with him. Now we walk by faith, but then it will be by sight. You'll see him whom you have loved and you'll be with him forever. The presence of God, which is way better than anything on this planet. Way better than the presence of even your most loved persons on the planet. The presence of God, it's gain. We have to be men and women of faith and receive that and appropriate that. Why should I not fear death? Because death takes me to a great place. It's gain, it takes me into the presence of God. Here's another help, help number two, to help you see it as gain. At death, you've finished the race, and you've kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4.7. I wonder how many of you have ever been in a race. Raise your hand. Any kind of race. Probably all of you. When you were kids out in the playground, you, had, you were in a race. So you've been in some, so how many of you have been in a real, you know, an organized race? Yeah, so you, you might be interested to know. Here's a little thing you don't know about me. It doesn't matter, but um, in my 40s and into my early 50s, I got into bicycle racing. I did probably close to 100 races. You, you joined the United States Cycling Federation, and then you start as a Cat 5, which is roller derby, hope you survive. I crashed a number of times, got knocked unconscious sometimes. It's a wonder I know my own middle name anymore. I've had so many, between snowboarding and that, I've been knocked out so many times. Uh, it's incredible. Um, but I made it through the Cat 5 year. And just if you make it through that and have like 13 races you completed, you can become a Cat 4. Now the competition gets much more stiff. So I was a Cat 4. I had a really fabulous Cat 4 year. So the next year they put me into Cat 3. And wow, did the, com the, the level of competition go up in the Cat 3 year. There were a lot of very fast people. And in the races, you turned yourself inside out. You killed yourself. The pain was constant and immense in that kind of race. And when I got to be 52, I said, that's enough of that. <laughs> and I quit. I finished my race. Whew. At death, you finished your race. 
all the pain of this life, all the exertions, all the challenges, all the disappointments, all the grief, all the sorrow, all the sin, all the ways people treat each other, all the bad stuff on the planet. At death, you're finished with all of that. You've finished the race. You leave all of that behind. That's gain. And thirdly, a third thing to help you, I already mentioned it, but now we'll make it a point. At death, your faith becomes sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith right now, but not by sight. Peter says, whom having not seen, yet you love him. We haven't seen him. Then we'll see him. We'll see him, 1 John says, and be like him in his heavenly body. And fourth, help to help you see it, see it as gain. At, at death, you no longer see in a mirror dimly, but you see him face to face. More of the same, different words. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And fifthly, at death, you're done with suffering. Amen? You're done with suffering. I have a verse about that one, a great verse. Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Next slide. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's gain. No more of that. No more of that. Anybody going through a bad time? Anybody suffering? Anybody got pain? Anybody got sorrow? When you die, gone. I did the, I told myself I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> Debbie, make me stop that. And, and the sixth reason why it's gain is at death, you're blessed. Listen to the words of Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Do you like to be blessed? Blessed by God? At death, you are blessed. Just so you die in the Lord. And another reason that I really like why death is gain, reason number seven, is at death, you're done. You're done with temptation and sin. Won't that be nice? Done breathing, done sinning. Ah, that'd be a great day. Never again will I feel a temptation. Never again will, will it tug at my heart. And reason number eight that death is gained, at death you enter the joy of the Lord. And reason number nine, at death you enter glory. Now the best things on the planet, some of them have a shade of glory. You like the beach. And on the beach you see glory. When you go into the high desert of California, there are stars, and you see glory. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. There are, there are things, there are glimpses of God's glory on the planet, but they're just little glimpses. And in heaven, it's glory time. And finally, number 10, and there could be more, but I'll stop at 10. At death, you're made like him. And that's why it's gain. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You'll see him and be like him. That is certainly gain. 
So Paul wants you to know, the Lord wants you to know, death is gain. You don't have to fear it. He came Christmas incarnation. He came to deliver you from the fear of death. And there are some helps. Death is gain. It's gain for all these reasons. Believe it. Reckon on it. Don't fear death. Be men and women of faith. Now, having said all that, I want to give you what I'll call a caveat, however, to not fearing death. A warning, the dictionary says, or a proviso of specific stipulations, conditions, or limitations. Here's what my caveat is. Don't think, don't believe, please don't imagine that living with no fear of death means you have license to be stupid. It doesn't mean you can go to extremes and tempt fate because I don't have to fear death, God says so. It doesn't mean you can do dumb stuff. It doesn't mean that at all. And I want to tell you why. What book and chapter of the Bible has the Ten Commands? Exodus 20, all right, 19 and 20. Um, What's the sixth command? You shall not murder. Now, what's contained in the sixth command? You remember, don't you, that this is how the Bible is arranged. There are two great commands, love God and love people. Under each of those, under love God, you have the first four of the Ten Commandments. Under love people, you have the last six of the Ten Commandments. So we are now under love people, and under that we have don't kill people, don't murder people. But as you know from the teachings of Jesus, every commandment has a lot more packed into it than its bare words. And all the commandments that have to do with the legitimate preservation of life in the whole Bible fall under that sixth command, which falls under the second table of the law, into, which falls under the second commandment, love people. And you are a people. And there are ways that you are to take precautions to preserve your own life and not murder, to preserve your own existence on the planet and not kill. The Westminster Shorter Catechism reads, I think I have it for you, yes. What is required in the Sixth Commandment? Here's their answer. The Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. So, don't fear death doesn't add up to be stupid. Forget precautions. No, 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 because the Word of God also tells you, Sixth Commandment, don't kill. That means don't kill yourself by being stupid, by doing dumb things. It's called self-murder. John Frame, my favorite living theologian. I love John Frame. I love every word he's ever written. I love John Frame. He's retired now. He's Professor Emeritus at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary. And John Frame calls this, this application of the sixth command to being careful not to kill yourself or others unnecessarily. He calls it the doctrine of carefulness. I'd never heard that before until this week I was reading frame. And he calls it the doctrine of care. There's a whole doctrine that means be careful. Take every lawful measure to preserve. Now, um, he didn't talk about this, and it's not even in my notes here. It's in my notes somewhere. I'll let it happen here. You know, in the Old Testament, In the book of Leviticus, there's a command that says, if you build yourself a house, and houses in that arid climate, it didn't rain much, had flat roofs, it didn't snow, they didn't need roofs like we do, had a flat roof, and that would be some living space, and you might go up there and spend some of your time, much like townhouses in the city. A lot of them have a little thing on the roof, and you can go up and hang out on the roof. 
The law of God said, if you do that, if you have a roof, what do you have to do? You have to build a fence. It calls it a parapet in Scripture. You have to build a fence around the edges of your roof. Why? So nobody falls off and gets maimed, so nobody falls off and dies. You are required, that's Sixth Commandment territory. You are required to take every legitimate measure you possibly can to preserve your own life and the lives of other people. But how does this get applied to us? Because some of you, some of us, have a very high aversion to risk. Some of you have a lot of the the terror factor in you, and other people are not the slightest bit worried about risk. Would you like to know which category I'm in? I'm not worried. I like skiing. It's, It's shaping up, supposed to snow this week. They're blowing snow on my mountains. I like skiing, and I like skiing fast. I do. Um, One loves downhill skiing fast, and another looks at that and says, man, you're breaking the sixth commandment. You might hit a tree. Might. Yeah, maybe. If God puts my name on that tree, I'll hit it. Another says, man, you're breaking the sixth commandment. And, and the, the skier answers, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm skiing fast carefully. I'm taking precautions while I go fast. So the doctrine of carefulness, here's what I'm illustrating, will apply differently to different people depending on you. It won't be the same thing for everybody. Some of you, I hope it's none of you, I get behind some people on the road and it's a, it's a 55 mile an hour speed limit and you're doing 42 Oh, it just kills me to do 42. I can walk faster than 42. But you're being careful. We're made differently. But here's the whole point. Fear of death does not mean throw caution to the winds. Wear your seatbelt, buy a car with airbags, eat healthy food, get some cardio, watch your blood pressure, and in a very applicable way in our day, wear a mask. There are, these are applications of the doctrine of carefulness. So fear, no fear of death doesn't mean I'll be stupid and foolhardy. Just wanted you to know that. Some of you especially needed to hear that. Another important caveat, however, here it comes. We'll put it up for you. Preserving our own lives, however, is not our highest concern. It is a concern, but it's not our highest concern. And I want to prove that to you from Scripture. Let's go with the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 21, and he says, For I am ready. What are you ready for, Paul? I'm ready not only to be imprisoned. You are? Yeah, I don't care. I'll go to prison for Jesus. But I'm ready, I'm even ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, preserving my physical life in this body is not my highest priority on the planet. Being faithful to Jesus Christ is my highest priority on the planet. And I'm willing to die for that. I'll let them kill my body for that. He goes on in Acts 20 and verse 24, backing up a few passages, Acts 20. Uh, next, next one, please. It'll be Acts 20 and verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious 
to myself. Remember Schmeagle? Me precious. What's it got in its pockets is me precious. No, you don't have a you don't have a precious. Your life is not precious. Being faithful to Jesus Christ is precious. Doing the will of God is precious. Leading people to saving faith in Jesus Christ is precious. But I don't account my life of any value or as precious to myself. He goes on, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Staying alive is not priority number one. Staying faithful to God is priority number one. The book of Hebrews helps us with this. It says, sobering words, some were tortured. Some who followed God were tortured. Kept alive while enduring awful pain. They were tortured. Refusing to accept relief. Just deny Christ and we'll let you go. No. They refused to be released. Why? A purpose clause. So that they might rise again to a better life. Literally, in the Greek, a better resurrection. Staying alive was not their highest priority. No, if they're going to torture me and if they're going to kill me, I'm sticking with Jesus Christ. That's my highest priority. Being found in him at the last day. One more passage, Revelation 12, 11. It says, they loved not their own lives even unto death. Deny Christ, we'll let you live. Can't. Deny Christ, we won't pull the trigger. Pull the trigger, send me to heaven. They loved not their own lives, even unto death. There are many examples who have gone before us of this, and I'll end with some of these examples. They're amazing. You know, in, in, uh, in England in the 16, 17, and even into the 1800s, kind of known as the Puritan era, there were, uh, there were three books that every household owned. There were three books that every family read. You know what they were? They were the King James Version of the Bible. They were old John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And they were Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'm going to share a little bit with you from Fox's Book of Martyrs. They wanted them to read about martyrs to put steel on their souls. They wanted them to read about martyrs to give them examples of how you stick with Christ even when there's conflict involved in that. One who was martyred, a pastor in a small town named Roland Taylor, was taken to London to be tried. He was found guilty. They sent him back to his small town where he had been pastor to be burned in front of his former church members. Imagine that. I hope none of you would want that. Imagine that, if they're burning one of your pastors out front after church today. They were really doing that. And when he got to within two miles of the town, heading back from London, the sheriff asked him, how you feeling, man? And he replied, God be praised, Master Sheriff, never better, for now I am almost at home. I lack just two styles. I had to look it up, and here's what it means. It's like a steps to go over a fence so animals can't go over, but humans can. I have but two styles to go over, and I am even at my father's house. As his church members lined the streets and greeted him with tears and lamentations, he repeatedly said, I have preached to you God's word and truth, and am come this day to seal it with my blood.
No fear of death. No guilt in life, no fear of death. One more, another. John Bradford was only 35 years old. He refused to deny Christ. He refused to give in to Rome. He stuck with the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They said, deny it or we'll burn you. He would not deny it. They took him to the stake where he was to be burned. And (laughs) when he got there, he kissed the stake. Like, blessed pike, that will deliver me into my heavenly abode. And he held up his hands toward heaven and prayed for England. And then he turned to a young man with him, also about to be executed for his faith. And he said to him, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord Jesus this night. That's the Spirit. That's the Spirit. Keeping myself alive is not my highest priority. It is a priority. I'm supposed to take every legitimate measure to preserve my life on the planet. But I want to give you one more thing quick. Keep playing, Gabrielle. Thank you. Um, There are reasons to avoid death. There are valid reasons to avoid death. I'm going to run through these real fast, and I intended to. Let me show you them, them from Paul. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Next slide, please. But, or so... If I am to live on in the flesh, here's what that'll mean. Oh boy, I get to play more. No. Oh boy, I get to make more money and buy more toys. No. If I live longer, here's what will be significant about that to me. Here's what will matter about that to me. It will mean fruitful labor. Serving people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, yet which one I shall choose to be with Christ or to be here laboring, I cannot tell, but let's go on. He does tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better, it's gain. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Y'all need me. To remain here would be about serving you. And so, final slide, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. There's, there are legitimate reasons to want to stay, and the best one is so I can serve God, so I can serve other people, so I can love and serve and protect and provide for those who depend on me, so I can add value to the lives of those who look to me. Lord, I, I want to be with you in heaven, but I could do a lot of good here. And Paul says, I'd really rather be there, but I think he wants me here to do you some good, so I'll be here. Why are you here on the planet? Why are you taking up space to do people good? So Jesus came. Hasn't this been a great Christmas message? I didn't mean to say it was a great message. I meant to say it was really Christmassy. Why did Jesus come? To deliver from the fear of death. Let's pray that we would be delivered so that we're ready to live for Jesus Christ with all of our souls. Father in heaven, there are surely people in this room or people watching with us online who are, who are not yet believers in the Lord Jesus. We pray for them now and pray that you would turn them. Would you turn them? Would you send the hounds of heaven to chase them up a tree? 
and may they cry out to the Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me and save my unworthy soul. Some of you, maybe you're praying that right now. We'd like to help you. Would you connect with us? If you're in the room, there's a connect card in the chair in front of you. If you're online, you can uh, connect with us through our website. Just go to our website and find where it says connect with us. We'd love to help you to know Christ, to follow Christ, and to live with no guilt in life, no fear in death. We're asking for all in the name of Jesus.